Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So I hope that you have had a great weekend and I'm so glad that you came to church. Special welcome to all of our guests. If you're a guest, you don't normally come here. Uh, it's so great to have you and we are going to have a great night tonight and we had a great morning uh, this morning in church. I've had a great weekend. I'll tell you one of the highlights of my weekend uh, is actually to watch my kids play sport and if you don't have kids then you may not know what I'm talking about but I'm sure you can imagine that it is one of the highlights of a parent is to see the, the see your kids uh, succeed and, and, and play sport and so uh, my, my, my son uh, Judah, he plays basketball uh, on Saturdays. He plays football on Friday uh, nights. He does Auskick. And um, I, I realized something about myself um, as a dad over the weekend, which is this. When we're playing, uh, when they're playing basketball, I know it's only under eights uh, uh, mini, mini ball, but I get so excited that I become that parent. I am the weird parent that is up and out of his seat and talking like this and so forth. And I look and it's like underrates mini bowl and everyone else is sitting down and I feel like um, I feel awkward at that moment. And I sit back down and I think, oh my gosh, just remember it's only underrates mini ball. And then when, when uh, they call a halftime, I, I'm, the, I'm the dad that wants to come and listen in to what the coach is saying. And, and, and then when, when my son is, is subbed off the court, I'll come around and put my arm around him and I'll, I'm, I'm giving him tips and hints and so forth. You know why? Because I want him to nail it and I want him to have loads of fun. And I, I, I think my advice is helpful. He, he kind of goes, yeah, cool, Dad. I, all right, Dad, I, I got this. All right, go sit down. And so that's my experience. And I'll tell you why, because as a dad, you want to see your kids succeed. You with me? Yeah. All right, three people, cool. And, and, and so I, I want to see my kids succeed. And so tonight, I'm going to preach a, a, a message to you called Practice Makes Perfect. And it begins with this letter that's being written by a spiritual father to a spiritual son. A spiritual father to a spiritual son. And the spiritual son, his name is Timothy. And the spiritual dad, his name is Paul. And he writes this letter to his son, Timothy, who is this young guy who is in his mid-30s. You see that, what I did right there? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, cool. I'm in 30s. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Zach's onto it. So I'm, I'm mid-30s. So I, that's why I said he's a young guy. And, and so he's this young guy and he's come in to take over a church which would ordinarily be okay, except that the church has not requested that he should show up. And it's kind of like, imagine if you just showed up at someone's business one day and you said, hi, I'm here, I'm your new boss. And they said, no, you're not. This is my business. And it's like, I know that, but I just decided that I'm coming in and I'm taking over. And that's exactly what it would sort of feel like. And so Paul has written this letter to Timothy because he's been sent in to take over this church from these people that never really asked for him. And Tim, he is uh, mid-30s. He's never done this before. And he is inexperienced. And because he is inexperienced, he feels insecure, and despite the fact, and listen to this, that he is inexperienced and insecure, 
he is still called by God to do that job. You hear what I'm saying? He's inexperienced and he's insecure, but he's still called no less. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that position. I can tell you that I have. And that is often the way that we find ourselves. And so I'm going to read to you this scripture. It comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 12. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray tonight. Father, we uh, believe that tonight you're going to speak to us. And so I pray all over this room tonight that our hearts would be open and that God, this is a scripture that maybe some of us have read before and maybe we're new in church today and we've never seen this before. But I pray, God, that tonight every single one of us would be leaning into what it is that you would want to say to us. And I pray ultimately, God, that when we leave this place today, that we would be transformed and that we would see things differently. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Life has many parts. Life has many parts, I, and, and, and I'm sitting at my dinner table last night, and I'm watching um, my kids, and we're all sitting there together, and I look at my kids, and honestly, I gotta tell you the truth, when I'm sitting, even just at a dinner table with my kids, I feel so blessed, because I look at them, and I love them so much, and I see them all sitting there, and we're all happy, and all the rest of it, and I think, man, it's so awesome that I have these new little people in my life, but I, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I just met my wife one day, if, if I never met her, then these uh, little people in my life that I love so much, they wouldn't even be there. And I was thinking about the day that I, I, I met my wife and I was just telling this story yesterday to a couple of friends actually. And, and, and it's kind of a, uh, one of those stories where when I think back to it, I remember thinking for a long time that it was just you know, a chance encounter that I met my wife. But as I began to grow and read the scriptures, I realized something, which is that God is far more involved in our lives and the introductions in our lives than I ever imagined. And so I was, I was thinking about that. And I, and I remember the day that I, I met my wife and we met at a friend's birthday and it was at a nightclub. And we, we met there and and so uh, my wife, Sarah, she was standing in a group, uh, a very closed group uh, of a bunch of girls that obviously all knew each other and I didn't know them at all. And so I just thought, I, I don't know many people, so I'm just going to walk up and introduce myself to these people. So I walked up and I said, oh, hello, everybody. My name's Ben. Uh, you know, how do you guys all know each other? And this chick with all this attitude turns around and giving me attitude she goes well this is how we know our friend how do you know her and I thought what is this girl's problem where does she get that attitude from I mean who does she think she is and that was my wife now Sarah and so I, I, I'm looking at this chick with all this attitude and she's trying to be all standoffish right 
yeah, but I got a number by the end of the night I did. And, and, and so anyway, I went across to America and then I came back. We started dating and here we are nearly 12 years later and we're married and we have three kids and I'm looking at my kids and I'm thinking, these kids wouldn't be here if I didn't begin to walk down that path and take that path in life. Do you know that the psalmist writes, he, he, he says uh, that, his, that, the, that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. And I kind of feel like oftentimes when we read the, the Bible, the scriptures, we see often that his word, it kind of illuminates different ways that we should go. You know what I'm saying? It's like you read this and you realize that there are some things that you should do in life and some people that you should see. And then if you keep reading, it says, oh, maybe there are some things that you probably shouldn't do and some paths that you shouldn't go down. And that's why it becomes a lamp unto my feet because the truth is, is that without the word of God in our lives is that oftentimes we could head off in any direction and this kind of lights the way for us. It lights the way in the path that we should take. And when it comes to the path that you should take, I don't know if you realize this tonight and maybe you've heard this before, but I want to tell you anyway that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. In fact, a scripture that's so well known is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, plans to prosper you and good news. His plans are not to harm you. And now here's the thing about that scripture. It's so well known and quoted so often. And I'll tell you the truth about that scripture. I realize that that was written to Israel. I understand the context of the scripture, but when you think about it, really, how is that not true for you and me tonight? Isn't it not true that God has plans for us? Yeah? Is it not true that God's plans are for good and not for evil? Yeah? Is it true that God's plans are to prosper us and not to harm us? Yeah? So His plans for us, all those things that I said, are still very true for us. And if you want another scripture, just so that you can feel comfortable that I'm not just taking liberty with the scriptures tonight, then how about this? You've been created in good works that you should walk in them. God has created you in good works and He has a plan for your life. And that plan means that you start to follow Him. And as you do begin to do that, you start to head down the path that He's got for you in life and you begin to walk in the good things that He has for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I'll tell you the truth about me. I have often not felt ready to walk down the path that I have heard God calling me down. You understand what I'm saying? I've often not felt prepared to begin to go down the path that I have heard God calling me down. I've felt unprepared, like I don't sometimes maybe have what it takes. And despite that, it's still God at work calling me to move forwards. And like a great preacher once said, you're never really ready. You're never really ready to do the things that God calls you to do, are you? But I like to say, why should that stop you? Why should it stop you? The fact that you're unprepared, the fact that you feel ill-equipped, why should any of that 
stop you from beginning to walk down the path that God has for you. The truth is we all feel like that at times. And that is exactly where Timothy finds himself in this letter and this scripture that we're reading. This is exactly where Tim finds himself. And so let me give you the scenario here. Paul writes this letter to Tim because he is taking over what is a mega church. It's a huge church. And there's only one problem with this mega church, which is that there's a whole bunch of false teachers and they're unfortunately all on the leadership team. So now a guy with no experience has been sent in to a mega church that never asked for him to kick out the leadership to take over and begin to rework some things in that church. How would you feel about that situation? Talk about not really feeling up to the task or not feeling really ready for that. Do you know what I found completely amazing about all of this? is the fact that it was a mega church and it was growing and it was thriving and full of false teaching. Isn't that interesting to you? That actually, even with all the fake stuff that was being preached in that church, it was still growing. And maybe it's because people just want to hear the right words. Maybe it's because they just want to have their ears tickled and they want, to, they want to be told the right things. And under those conditions, the church begins to grow. But now Tim's been sent in to do something, this young punk. And here is the major issue. Are you ready for this? He's got a whole bunch of critics that are in the church right now that are beginning to point to him and call him out and say things about him and it's affecting him in a profound way. It's making him begin to feel deeply insecure about the job that he has. Here's the thing you need to understand, your calling is often met with critics. Yeah. Your calling is often going to be met with critics. And what did Paul say to Tim? He says to him, let no one despise you for your youth. But you could actually take out the word youth and you could just insert your own issue in there, couldn't you? He said to Tim, don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but actually fill in the blank. Take out the word youth. What would you let someone despise you for? What would you let someone begin to criticize and critique you about? Maybe you could take out the word youth and you could just replace it with the word gender. Let no one criticize you for your gender. This is a man's world. And this is no place for a lady. Or how, how about this? This is a ladies world. There's no place for a man. How, 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 here we go. See, here's the thing. What would you let someone begin to criticize you about? What would you let someone begin to speak to you about or despise you for? Do you know that critics really, what they all, all they really are is they are someone that just wants to offer an opinion. It's an alternative perspective. And critics often, they don't have 
God's perspective. They just carried their own perspective. Do you know if you wanted to be a critic, even say 10 years ago, all you would need to do is you'd have to write a letter into the newspaper or send an email into the newspaper and get them to print what it is that you wanted to critique and provide, you know, your version of the truth, whatever that really means. But thanks to Facebook, that's no longer a problem because we have a global platform that's instant, that's unpoliced, and anybody can criticize you of anything, anytime they want. And whenever it's posted on Facebook and you're tagged in it, all the people you care about see it. And whenever you step out and do anything at any point, at any time, you've got to know that someone could come along and critique you and begin to say things about you. And once it's out there, it's permanent and it's there for everyone to see. And if you were going to read the comments about you, and then begin to allow the comments that people make about you to begin to shape your self-image, you are going to become a profoundly insecure person and it's going to mess up the things that God is asking you to do because you'll be so worried about the opinions of other people that you'll forget that God's actually calling you out to do something. So what you need to do is remember that there are right people to listen to and there are wrong people to listen to. And even me, myself, I'll tell you the truth, I have people in my life that I give permission to and I say to them, you can come and give me advice about things that I should say and about things maybe that I shouldn't say and about things that I should do and about things that I shouldn't do. But what I do is I limit who I allow to speak into my life. I set up the right people because if I was to lean into everybody's perspective and if if I was to lean into everybody's opinion, how many of us would realize that I could head in any direction and end up becoming a really insecure person? Here's what Paul says. He says, how you handle criticism matters. In fact, what he said to Timothy is he said, you've got to set an example in your speech and in your, your conduct. That's this, this just your life. It's just how you live your life and you have to set an example. I remember one time I was at the shops and I had been, I'd lined up and I was waiting to be served. And uh, then right before, and I was waiting for a fair while, and right before I was about to be served, this man suddenly rushed up and stood right next to me And he was clearly, you know, more important than me. And when the customer service person said, who is next? He put his hand in front of my face like this. His hand was literally so close to my nose that I leaned back like that. And he looked at the person and he said, I believe I was next and looked at me as if to say, what are you going to do about it? And at that moment, I was filled with all manner of heavenly and glorious, encouraging words to share with that man. Nope. My natural inclination was, who do you think you are? In fact, I won't even tell you what was going through my mind, but I'll tell you how I felt. 
I wanted to tackle that man to the floor and just take him out and say, who do you think that you are? And right before this, as this is going through my mind, I have this one thought that comes through and says, just remember something. Your church is two minutes down the road. And you don't know who's around. Anybody could be in the shop right now and they could be looking at what you do. And what if one of them came to church on Sunday and they said, that's the pastor? I just saw him tackle a man during the week. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you've got to pull it together in this moment. Just be cool, act cool, because people are watching what you're doing and how you're acting. And so on the outside, oh, it's just cool, man. I just let him go in front. Of course, hey, man, and God bless you. I pray that God blesses you at the end of today. Please be my guest. Go right ahead. Actually, I'm thinking, I've got to pull it together. Keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Really, the truth is our natural inclination is not always to respond rightly. And when you have critics that come into your world and they begin to critique and criticize you about the things that you're doing and what you're saying, our natural inclination is not godliness. To be honest, oftentimes it's retaliation. It's to be really defensive. I'm reading the story of Nehemiah at the moment. And I love the story of Nehemiah. It's a great book of the Bible. And if you've never read it before, if you don't know what it's about, let me give you the the picture here. Nehemiah is a slave and he's a cupbearer to a king and not a particularly nice king. And the walls of Jerusalem and its gates have been broken down and burned for over a hundred years. And this information comes to Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah hears it, he's so heartbroken that when he's in the presence of the king, he can't even pull himself together. And that's a big no-no because in front of the king, you've got to act like you've got it together. And so the king says, hey, listen, what's your problem, Nehemiah? You know, can't you get it together? He says, no. He says, listen, my Lord, the issue is, is that I found out the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down and the gates are burned. And this is the state in which our people live and exist. And the most amazing thing happens. King Xerxes, who was not known for his kindness, gives him an armed patrol and gives him leave to begin to go and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and to put up the gates of Jerusalem again. And so here are these guys and, 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 you know, Nehemiah, he comes to the people and he says to them, we got a problem, which is that our gates have been burned and our walls are broken down. And would you join with me and let's rebuild the wall and let's rebuild the city and take away the reproach, which means the shame. Let's take away the shame of Israel. Because here these people are, who actually live under the living God, surrounded by a pagan culture that's thriving, while these people, the people of God, the people of the living God, are just struggling to get by. They're deeply oppressed. And so he says, let's take away the reproach of Israel. Let's rebuild this. And they say, great. So he casts some vision and people begin to jump on board with this vision and they start rebuilding the wall. And then two critics come along, Sanballat and Tobiah, and it says that they began to jeer. I don't know what that really means, but they began to jeer at him. They kind of, I imagine it like that, you know. They begin to jeer at him. And this is what they said in Nehemiah chapter 4. <clears throat> they come to him and they say, yes, what are they building? And listen to this for a critique and a, 
a bit of a dig at them. He says, if a fox goes up onto the wall, he will break it down. It says, are you kidding me? If a fox walks on that thing, it's going to break down. And so this is Nehemiah's response to a couple of critics that are beginning to suck the faith out of the builders that are building, rebuilding the wall. This is what he says in chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Hear, O God. And isn't it interesting that his response is not one of retaliation. In fact, the first thing that he does is he prays about it. He doesn't even speak to the two people that are criticizing him and critiquing him. No, he just pours his heart out to God. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. In other words, let's see how you like it. He says, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out for your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of all the builders. In other words, when Nehemiah gets critiqued by these two people that are sucking the faith out of the room, instead of getting mad and frustrated and having a go at them, he just turns to God, pours out his heart, and he keeps on building. And if you know the end of the story, he ends up building the wall. But imagine what would have happened if he leaned into the perspectives and the opinions of these people that were just critics. You know, armchair coaches who are not really ever involved, but like to sit back and take pot shots at people that are involved and are always criticizing and always critiquing and talking about how they could do it better. And the fact is they contribute nothing in their own right. Imagine what would have happened. They would have never rebuilt the wall. Listen to me. If you buy into critics' opinions, you may just miss your God-given future. Do you understand the implications of listening to a critic? Is if you lean into their opinion, which is all it is, it's just an opinion, and oftentimes an uninformed opinion, but an opinion nonetheless, if you lean into the opinions of people, you might miss your God-given future. Here's what Paul says. Paul said to Tim, he said, Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Listen to this. God will gift you to match your calling. Did you hear what I just said? God will gift you to match your calling. In fact, did you know that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to do this very thing? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to empower people to do ministry. And when I say ministry, can we just come into agreement about something together right now? Most ministry is to be done outside the church. Because imagine if the culmination of our ministry experience was confined to the two hours that we meet together on Sunday. That explains why there's a whole heap of people not being saved in the world today because we think that this is where it's at when actually out there is where it's at. We're in a team huddle right now. Good hustle, guys. But at the end of today, you're going to leave this place and you're going to have an opportunity to extend the kingdom of God beyond these walls. And that is where you should be doing it. And I got good news for you tonight, which is the Holy Spirit will gift you and call you and grace you with the ability to do what He's asked you to do. In fact, if you were to read the Bible and understand this correctly, would you understand that in the Old Testament, 
to where people needed the Holy Spirit to come upon them, there he was. When Moses handed over the leadership of Israel to Joshua, Joshua needed, he needed something more than his own talents and abilities. And so what did God do? But he sent the Holy Spirit who came upon Joshua and he gave him leadership and he gave him wisdom, which was required for him to do the task that laid before him. But he's not the only one. What about Gideon that found himself in the wine press, that it was thrashing out the wheat, which as you know, or may not know, that is not the place to thresh out the wheat because all the bits and wheat and husks and everything, they go everywhere. But Gideon is so afraid that he might attract the wrong attention and that people might come and see him outside, that people might come and take over his village and take all of his wheat and all of his stuff. And so uh, God shows up and he says to him, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Isn't it so cool that God calls us early? Yeah. The guy that's freaking out in the wine press is the same guy that God shows up and calls him mighty man of valor. And do you know why God is able to do that? You ready for this? Because <laughs> he knows what he's going to do with you. He knows what he can do with you. You can't see the future, but he can. And so he calls Gideon mighty man of valor because he knows what's coming. I'm going to come upon you. I'm going to bring you some boldness. It wasn't just the same for Gideon. There are so many others. Think about Saul. Saul was deeply insecure, and yet the Spirit of God came upon him. What about King David, who is honing his skills? Who would have ever imagined that slinging a slingshot would actually create a platform to present this sheep boy to uh, end up becoming the king of Israel? Who would have thought a slingshot would do it? And you know what? I bet you there he is with his slingshot, never really realizing that actually that skill that he was given was there by God that would be leveraged at a place in his future that would see a stone be flung into a giant's head that would sink deeply into his head. And here is poor Goliath, boy, man, you know you messed up when you got decapitated with your own sword in battle, don't you? And so here he is, Goliath gets his head chopped off and then King David, he steps, he steps, that, that was the day that shifted everything. He became, he came on the radar and eventually we know the story, he becomes king. How about the New Testament? How about the New Testament, which even gets more amazing because it says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit actually fills people from within. Listen to this. When Jesus was being baptized, what did it say? But that the Spirit descended, not as a dove, but in the form of a dove. And he came upon Jesus and they heard a voice that came from heaven that said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then he left and he was led into the desert where he was tempted for a period of time. And then when he returns, what does it say except that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit? Do you not find that odd? That Jesus, who is God himself, returns in the power of the Spirit? Are you kidding me? Imagine that. Jesus himself, who is God, returns in the power of the Spirit, which is there to simply tell you that even the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then after that, what does Jesus say to his disciples after he has died? He says to them, hey, listen, guys, before you even think out and going and, and doing ministry, you've got to wait for the Spirit to come upon you. Don't even think about trying to do it on your own. 
And so when the disciples are encountering all these threats, they don't say, hey, could you take away all the threats? They say, Holy Spirit, would you make us bold to do the things that you've called us to do? Do you know that that is still the Holy Spirit's work today in you to make you bold to do the things that he's called you to do? To not lean into the criticism of people that want to sit around armchair coaches that critique you and tell you how you could be doing it better. I mean, the only way to avoid critics is to really never do anything, but I just don't feel that that's what the people of God are called to do. How about this? The Holy Spirit, when He resurrected Jesus from the dead, it said that the same Spirit that lives in Christ lives in us. Do you understand that when you receive the Spirit of God, that in fact, you don't get like 10% of Him? Well, how much do you got? I'm like 50% over here. You're like 35. I'm better than you. You know, doesn't work that way. No, the Bible says that he gives the Spirit without measure, which means that when you get him, you get him. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead? Are you kidding me? It lives in you. And the manifestation of the Spirit of God works like this. He gives people gifts and He distributes them. And so there are people walking around with spiritual gifts, gifts of healing, gifts to uh, interpret uh, uh, tongues. There are gifts of of miracles and workings of miracles and, and all the rest of it. I mean, this stuff is literally amazing. He gives people the apostolic gifts, which is, uh, uh, or the ascension gifts, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Those are the people that run churches. And that's why whatever position you have in church, you should never be prideful or arrogant because the one thing that you should understand is it's just the manifestation of the Spirit and what He wants to do in your life. So never get arrogant about who you are in church. Hey, there's nothing special about you or me. It's just how God wants to work in your life and mine. And so what we need to do is realize that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, I'm telling you, I mean, you listen to this stuff, resurrecting people from the dead. Are you kidding me? It's like the Spirit of God is almost... He is almost unstoppable. And I say almost unstoppable because the fact is, is that God chooses to work through people. And depending on how much room you give Him to move in your life would have a whole heap to do with how God moves on the earth because Whether you like it or not, God chooses to administer His Spirit through His people. And when you begin to listen to the voices of critics, you become insecure. And insecurity will cause you to neglect, which means to not pay proper attention to your gift. And if you see what I'm saying tonight, you'll understand that if you begin to be insecure, By listening to the criticism of other people, it effectively stops God from working on the earth. And I want you to, ah, man, I want you to understand something tonight. I I honestly think that insecurity is one of the most demonic things I've ever seen because what it does is it shuts down people's faith. And the reason I say that to you is you've got to understand something. If you ever decide to do anything from God, you have got to know that there are people that are going to come and they'll probably criticize you and they'll probably critique you. And you've got to know that that's okay. What did Paul the apostle said? He said, our wrestle, it's not against flesh and blood 
but it's against principalities and rulers. It's against things in the cosmic realm. In other words, what I'm saying to you is oftentimes what happens is somebody's criticizing you and critiquing you, and you think it's the person that's standing there in front of you when actually they're just listening to some voices that they shouldn't be listening to and giving you words to discourage you to stop you from living the life that God has called you to and to stop you from doing what you were made for. And if you lean into that, you won't do what God has called you to do. I'm telling you, there is an agenda to stop you from doing what you were made for. You with me tonight? You you get what I'm saying? All right, I'm going to do something fun right now. So I've got a basketball ring. I'm going to get that basketball. Can you bring that basketball ring uh, over here? And uh, I need a volunteer. And Dave, since you're sitting in the front row, you can be my volunteer for tonight. And so why don't we give a round of applause to our volunteer, Dave, who's here tonight. And can you just grab that ball that's over there? Put that basketball ring over here. And yep, that's good. Stop right there. Yep. That's good. All right. Here we go. So this is pretty simple. Uh, <clears throat> I've got a a basketball here, and all I want, Dave, all I want you to do right now is to uh, shoot this basketball and get it in the ring. It's a pretty simple task. It's not difficult. Um, Quite simply, all you need to do in order to do this is I want you to place your hand on the side and place one hand at the back, and if you do it like Steph Curry does it, he doesn't actually leave the ground because it brings consistency to his shooting. So what I want you to do tonight is see if you can, try not to leave the ground and put your hand back. Now, when you do this, this is easy. This is so easy. You're going to do this, all right? When you do this, I want you to give your uh, wrist a little flick, put some backspin on it, and then aim for the ring. It's simple. It's not, do you, you understand what I'm... Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, cool. All right. Okay. Can we please have a hand for our friend Dave, who's going to have a shot at this? Come on, can you? Oh my gosh, hang on, don't shoot. That was really average. He's about to have a shot. So can we please give him a round of applause? Here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, let's go, Diva. This is yours, man, you got it. I don't want to embarrass you in front of these people, but the truth is, I know, but you need to hear this. This is the truth. Man, you're really average. In fact, I mean, was I, not, was I not clear in my instructions? I mean, I told you what you had to do. I mean, it's a pretty simple task, right? All I told you to do was to stand here and shoot the ball and get it in your hand. This is a simple task, and you can't even do it. You know what? Here's the truth about you, Dave. You're not good at sport. In fact, here's the truth about you. You have no natural talent for this, and if I were you... And if I were you, I would never, ever play sport again. I would just quit right now and give it up and never try again. You got me? Nope. <laughs> How am I doing? Am I doing? I'm a pretty good critic, right? All right. Here's a trick. <laughs> oh, man. Here's the truth about this. I told Dave he had to miss the shot because if he didn't miss, he was going to wreck my illustration. <laughs> And he's an absolute legend, and I know that because I lost a bet to him, and I have to still give you that. Uh, yeah, it was 10 bucks to hit a shot that was impossible, but you got it. But anyway, how about we actually give Dave a real shot, and let's get behind him, and let's see. Come on, come on. Let's give him a real shot right now. Come on, please. This is it. Get it in. You ready? No, you can shoot from anywhere. Oh, anywhere. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. 
Make it hard on yourself. I'm not moving it this time. Uh, I moved it this morning. I'm not moving it this time. Come on. Oh, it wasn't a bad shot. Hey, should we give him one more? Yeah. Come on, ha- come on, have another shot. Let's do this. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. No. Nope. <laughs> he could come on. Let's give him a round of applause. That was awesome. Good job. You see, I told Dave that I wanted him to shoot that basketball and the instructions were clear and obviously the fact is is that he missed it but I'm telling you right now the last thing that he needs when he doesn't get it right is for someone to come along and to suck the faith out of his life and begin to criticize and critique him I'll tell you why I did this because uh, I told you my son he, he plays basketball and I told you how I love to see my son succeed in playing sport right Well, here's the thing. The other day I was talking to my son and I said to him, I said, hey man, I've realized, I've noticed something when you get the ball. (laughs) I noticed that when you get the ball, you actually look for someone to pass it to immediately. You don't bounce it and you don't shoot it. And you just look to dish it off as quickly as you can. I said to him, I said, why do you do that? He said, well, dad. He said, the truth is, is that I don't want to be responsible for making a mistake. I feel like if I, if I do this, if I try to bounce the ball, they're going to take the ball off me and I don't want to let people down. So I just want to give it away. I said to him, don't you ever do that. I said, don't you ever think like that. I said, man, let me, let me tell you something, son. I said, I'm already proud of you. That's my position. I'm already proud of you. And the only way you're ever going to get better at your gift is if you practice it. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to have a go. I want you to give it a shot. And if you are bouncing the ball and someone strips you of the ball and they they take it away from you, I'm going to be in your corner saying, that's my boy. I'm so proud of you. And if you shoot it, and you miss and it's an air ball and your team loses the game. I'm gonna be in your corner going, that's my son, I'm so proud of you. You know why? Because my position is that I'm proud of him because I love him and I wanna see him succeed. And I understand something, that he's never gonna get better at anything unless he risks failure. Are you so afraid of failure that it's disabling your ability to try? Disabling your ability to give it a go. You know what I think we need? (laughs) I think we need a community that embraces practice that gives room for failure. So that when people give something a shot and they don't get it perfect every time, they don't have to feel guilty or they don't have to feel insecure or feel like they've let everyone down because there's an entire church in their corner going, we're so proud of you. We're so proud that you gave it a shot. We're so excited that you tried to do something on behalf of God. And we see that you've got a little bit of a way to go, but man, we're so proud that you stepped out. You had the faith and you had the guts to give it a go and you had to risk failure to find out whether you'd be good at it. But we're so proud that you at least tried. Come on, get a little bit of mongrel. Have a go, have a shot. And if you fail along the way, fine, but how else are you gonna get better? 
How else are you going to improve? Because if you want to get closer to being perfect, you have to practice. How else can you get better at anything unless you practice your gift? And this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, practice these things. Practice the reading of Scriptures. Practice exhorting. Practice all of these things. Practice your preaching. You have to practice them because how else are you going to get better? Listen to me. If the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and tells you to do something, you're going to have to risk being wrong to ever know that you were right. Are you willing to risk it so you can find out what God really wants to do with your life? This is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, practice these things. And he, he writes this in the first letter, First Timothy, right? But if you take your Bible and you flick just one page over, you'll see that Paul wrote a second letter to Timothy. And in his second letter to Timothy, we realize that this issue of insecurity taking over this church and the things that he's facing, this must be really causing Timothy to struggle because a second time his father writes to this spiritual son and he says when in first Timothy chapter and second Timothy chapter one and verse six, he says, For this reason I remind you, because I have to tell you again, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, he says to him, I've got to remind you to step out again and to use your gift again. I'm going to remind you to fan into flame the gift that's within you. And here's the thing, listen up. He had the words of the apostles. He had the words of these elders. He had words from God. And despite all of that, the situation is so dire that the church and the culture in this church at Ephesus was so strong that it still dominated Timothy. It still dominated him. He's still struggling with insecurity, which is why Paul's saying, no man, come on, give it another go. Come on, Tim, don't quit. Give it another shot. Don't stop right now. Don't be intimidated by the critics that say that you're too young to pastor this church because the truth is you've been called by God to do it. And I thought, that's the power of a culture that dominates people's thinking. And I thought, man, if, if you could have a culture like this that had the power and the ability to make people insecure, couldn't you have a culture that did the exact opposite? What if we had a culture huh, that was so outrageously encouraging that in this place, you could give something a go and if you fail, instead of hearing that it's the last shot that you ever get because you didn't meet our standards, we said, we still believe in you. We're gonna give you another shot because man, God's still doing something with your life. I mean, what if we had a culture at Activate Church that was so outrageously positive and encouraging that when you actually messed up, that there was a whole church in your corner saying, that's awesome, man. We love that you gave it a shot. That was a spectacular fail, but we're still with you. And yeah, you messed it up, but this is not your last shot because we're not turning our backs on you just because you didn't get it right. And do you know what that means, church? It actually means that sometimes things in this church may not be perfect and polished, but I'm okay with that because I'm more impressed with seeing people pursue the gift and the call that's on their life than always worrying about the opinions of critics 
that sit in armchairs and have pot shots of people and say, come on, that's not good enough. No, 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 that's not what we're doing. We're having a crazy, outrageous, encouraging culture that transforms people's thinking and dominates them and makes them realise, man, in this place, I can give it a go. So you know, life has many paths. I just don't want you to take the wrong one out of insecurity because God will gift you to match your calling. So Paul finishes and he says, keep a close watch on yourself, that's the life that you live, and on your teaching, which is your beliefs, because right believing leads to right thinking. And if you have the right thinking, and you're listening to God, then you're not going to become insecure when someone criticizes you for doing something you know God has called you to do. So the other night, anyway, I'm, I'm laying in bed and, and I'm just drifting off to sleep. And God, I don't know why He does this, and I'm still dealing with this with Him. It's really frustrating, actually, because He often gives me profound thoughts right as I'm sleeping. And when I'm feeling really lazy, I promise myself I'm going to remember in the morning, but I never do. So now I, I've learned that actually what I need to do is just wake up and write that thing down straight away. And so the other night I'm drifting off to sleep and I've been thinking about this message. And so it's on my mind. And as I'm sleeping, I hear God speak to me. And this is what he says. He says, what could, make, what could someone pay you to neglect your gift? What could you be offered to neglect what God has put in you? What could you be offered to turn your back on the gift that God's placed in your life? Whatever you could be offered, I want to let you know right now, the devil would double it immediately because he doesn't care about money or wealth or what needs to be offered. He would do anything to stop you from doing what you were created to do. He would do anything to stop you from doing what you were made for. But the thing is, he'll never have to offer that to you. You know why? This is what God said, because all he does is make you insecure through the opinions of critics to the point where it strains the expression of the Spirit of God in your life. You see, all that he needs to do to prevent the Spirit of God from moving across the earth is to make you feel so insecure from the voices and opinions of critics that you won't be willing to step out and give it a go. And as a result of that, He strains the expression of the Spirit of God on the earth. And if I think about that, I think, you know what? I don't think that's the way that God wants us to live. And so just a couple of things tonight, this is really important that you do this. Number one, there's a right time to listen to people and there's a wrong time to listen to people. It depends on who's speaking, yeah? So you gotta be listening to the right source. You gotta to listen to the right people. Have people that speak to you into your life because you know what, if someone says, nah, man, look, that's, that's just not from God. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're listening to the devil. They might be giving you some great wisdom there, but make sure you're listening to the right source. That's the first thing you gotta do. The second thing is you gotta practice your gift. You gotta practice it because practice gets you closer to perfect. And the third thing that you've got to do is you've got to leave room for failure. Leave room for yourself to fail and be okay with it because when you do, that's the only way that you can grow. And when if you give yourself permission to not be perfect, you will grow and grow and grow. And when you grow, you will grow up to do exactly what God made you for. And I thought, isn't that cool that you were made on purpose for purpose? And when you give yourself room, you will start to live the life that God created you for. I think that's pretty awesome. We stand together.
tonight. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.